Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. So tonight I get to talk about the mission heart of God. And to do that, I want to move through five areas together. And these five areas, if you're a note taker, are worship, perspective, humility, teachability, and victory. And even as we open in worship tonight, you know that song, it is well with my soul, right? Can we say that? Can we say it is well with my soul? Because at the end of the day, when we're on mission, talk to a brother at the beginning of church. He's like, my mission filled because of his health conditions is he's got his testimony down the 19 minutes flat and he ministers to nurses in a hospital. That's his missions filled. That's that unique calling. And ultimately what we're doing is we're inviting people into worship. And worship defined as this, to give honor, homage, reverence, respect, adoration, praise, or glory to a superior being. And here's the gig. God is the only being that truly deserves worship. He's worthy of every ounce that we can give, every bit of it. In Revelations 4.11, it says this, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And so our worship to him is an expression of reverence and thanksgiving. And as we're worshiping him, it's an exchange. We're, we're delving into this relationship with our very creator. And in this exchange, we begin to understand his character, but he also begins to show us things about our character or lack thereof. Amen? But we have this exchange, and he shows us these things, and as he's doing that, he expects us to be obedient to him as he reveals these things to us. Why? He's very interested in our love for him. He loves us and he's very interested in our love for him and also in our love and compassion for others. And so it's in this way that we present ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. And the Bible in Romans 12:1 tells us that this glorifies God and is our reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. It's reasonable for us. And when we worship with an obedient heart and an open and repentant spirit, God is glorified. Christians, us, believers, are purified. The church is edified, and the lost are evangelized. And this, these are the elements of true worship. And this is our history, guys. This is our legacy. This is the theme of redemptive history, to worship the true, living, and glorious God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you again, and I just want to put the word before you. I want to put my words before you. I want to put my life before you. I want to put us before you, Lord. And we want to receive from you, um, not, not, just, not, not just, you know, 
we want to receive what you have for us tonight, Lord, for hearts here tonight. We want to know what it is uh, to, to, to worship you, Lord. We want to know what it is to interact with those in our life, Lord. We want to know what it is to recognize our shortcomings. We want to know what it is to just repent. Uh, we want to know what it is for our life to be a true testimony unto you. And just thinking about Revelation, you know, the, the, the verse in Revelation there where how do we overcome the enemy, Lord, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And uh, that's, uh, that's what we put before you tonight. So that we have open ears, Lord, open hearts to receive what you have. And so with everything that I just shared, if you're a believer, you're with me, right? You're like, yeah, all right, amen, bring it. Right? You know what it is to worship. But if you're not a believer, then, well, you're not a believer and you may be wondering what I'm talking about. So let me give you a quick background and show you how this worship of the true, living, and glorious God gives us perspective. So we're invited into worship, and then inside of that worship, we begin to gain some perspective. And the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, I love what Dave shared, sitting out in the parking lot, taking someone through Genesis to Revelation. I would have loved to have been sitting in the back seat of that conversation to hear how that went. So this entire Bible, from start to finish, is a missionary account. And it's God on mission to restore us back to our right position with him. And you're going to hear me say position a lot. And it's very important. The right position with him. It's restoring us back. But what does that mean? What does this right position mean? In Ecclesiastes, it says that God has planted eternity in our hearts. It's there. Eternity is right in our hearts. And we all have it. Every people group, every tribe, every tongue, every nation has eternity planted in their heart. Now, it might show up in various ways, right? So as a non-believer, it might be a little bit of an angst. Maybe it's not well with your soul. You can't say that. So it shows up as a little bit of angst because of this eternity on your heart. You know that there's something more. You can't quite put your finger on it, but... And then questions may come up like, is this all there is? What does all this mean? Who am I and how did I get here? You may have this sense that things could and should be better. It may feel like something is lost or broken or out of whack. And you're right. It's off because you're out of the right position. And how did the position become off? Well, Whether you like it or not, you're part of an entire human race that deals with the same thing because we all have the same lineage. We all have the same great-grandfather, Adam. And as the first man, Adam was given free will to obey or disobey God. Well, he disobeyed, and in that disobedience, that's our heritage. That's what we're born into, which brings death, sin, and all of its consequences. In Adam, we die. In Adam, we're separated from God, and this right position with God is gone. So this begins God's mission of providing a way for us to get back into the right position with him. And he does this through the promise of his son, Jesus. Because again, in Adam we die, we lose our position, but in Christ we're all made alive. We live in him, and in him we have our position. You know, when you really think about and you meditate on 
you know, believer or non-believer, if you just kind of just, just take, start taking the Bible at face value, like, wow, so they're saying that this is the word of God. So God has interacted with us from this realm of eternity and has entered into our time and into our history to reveal himself to us. That's something to consider. And that's exactly what he's done because right after Adam and Eve made that choice, immediately God's in with his rescue plan, immediately. So Adam and Eve shake out in chapters one of two in Genesis. Immediately in chapter three, God gives the promise of a savior, of a Messiah. And then God later confirms that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is what the Lord said to Abraham later on in Genesis in chapter, uh, chapter 12. He says, Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. He listened. He did it. And so if you look around at every one of these flags, that very, that very uh, scripture right there is fulfilled. All peoples. Every single people group that is represented by this flag here is blessed through Abraham and through Abraham's faith. Because Abraham stepped out in faith and the promise given to him was then passed to his son Isaac it was then passed to his, uh, Isaac then passed it on to his son Jacob, so the promise is going through just as, just as the Lord had given. And here's what's interesting about Jacob. Jacob had his name changed, and his name was changed to Israel. And it was after a long night with wrestling with God, and God told him, from now on your, your name is Israel. And we know the country of Israel, right? And what does Israel mean? Those that wrestle with God those that are willing to contend with God. So God's desire for Israel and the Jews was that they would be a blessing to the whole world. They were to teach everyone about him. Israel was, was to be a nation of priests, prophets, and missionaries to the world. And God's intent was for Israel to be a distinct people, a nation who pointed others toward God and his promised provision of Messiah, of this Savior. In Deuteronomy 7, it uh, says of the nation of Israel, The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you are the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. And we see this pattern play out in the Bible. Like the Lord's always choosing the least, right? And so it's not because you were the most numerous. It's because you were the least, guys. And why is that? It's the same thing in our life. And what is it in our life? Do we want to take credit? Because our flesh will not glory in his presence. He didn't want a nation, his chosen nation, to glory in their power, to glory in who they were. They wanted everything, he wanted everything, all of the glory to come to him. And it has. Because if you think about Israel, it's pretty crazy that Israel even exists. Even to this day, it still exists. And there's this story uh, about um, Blas Pascal. He was a French mathematician and philosopher. And he was summoned by King Louis XIV of France. And King Louis XIV wanted proof of God. So he says, all right, Mr. Pascal, what is proof of, give me proof of God. And he says, the Jews, your majesty, the Jews. Because you look at this testimony, you look how, Lord, how the Lord has played out over the years through his chosen people. 
But here's the gig. God did not have to have a chosen people. He didn't, but that's how he chose it. That's why he wanted it. He decided to do it that way. Jesus had to come from some nation of people, and God chose Israel. And it's this. This is God on mission. God commits. He initiates. He operates in time and history. He chooses a people group to send his only son, Jesus, to earth to be born into, to live, to die, and to be raised again so that we can put back, so that we can be put back into a right relationship with God. And that's what Jesus does, guys. He restores our position with God. Listen to this from Ephesians 1.5. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. If you look at that word adopt, the word adopt is a, the word, adopt is a word of positioning. Positioning. It's when we're adopted through Jesus, we're put back, that position now is restored, we're put back into that position of being the son of God, of being the daughter of God. We're put back into that sonship and that daughtership. And there's a deep dignity in this, a deep dignity to be restored with God. Why? Because we're made in his image. And that's also that eternity set in our hearts, right? We know, we know that there's something more. So to enter into this worship, as we enter in, <clears throat> now we're a believer, we get to address our sin, right? You now believe, so when you believe and you have faith in what Jesus says, when you have faith that he is who he, said, he says he is, when you have faith in believing that when he says, hey, I'm it, the only way you're going to come to the Father is through me. I'm it. I'm the only one, Jesus would say, that can restore you back in the right position with God the Father. I'm it. So when you take that, when you take that leap of faith and you believe in Jesus, that's handling sin in the singular. Because sin in the singular is a condition. In Adam we die, right? That's the condition. So when the sin singular is handled... The condition is handled and the position is handled. So now we have that, but then all of a sudden it's like, well, wait a minute, but I have all these sins in my life. Sins, plural. Oh yeah, well, he gets to clean those up. Because now that the condition, now that we're in the right position, all of a sudden our perspective begins to change. We're now in fellowship. We're now reading the word. Iron sharpening iron. Things are being revealed to us. Things are being exposed to us. I want to tell you a story because it's not unique to any of us. I'm in Peru in the Amazon basin. No water, no electricity. We're hanging out in this village and this lady brings this guy to us and he has this massive boil like, yeah, anyway, right on his, right on his glute. And so here we are like, all right, you guys on the table, we're trying to decide who's willing to pop the boil on this guy. You know, this is a little crazy. Well, we do it, you know, we just, be flexible, right? When you're in the mission field, just be ready for anything. That day, the Lord had a boil to pop for us. But here's what happened. The gal who brought him, we found out, was the witch doctor of the village. You know, so all of a sudden, she's interacting with us, and they're hanging out with us. Well, we invite them to church. We're like, hey, come fellowship with us. Come. Let us invite you into worship. And here's what he said. Oh, no, 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 no. 
He was stuck on sins. And it's, we've got to get this distinction. The sins, plural, you know, like, like Peru in a village, you'll see it in the street if you're witnessing to anybody. It's just like, oh, you know, I've got to get cleaned up a little bit. Then I'll give my life to the Lord. That's backwards. You've got to hand, handle the sin singular. And when, they, when, the, when the singular sin is handled, now those sins, plural, get to come to the surface. So we're in fellowship. We're in the word. And as, as these sins, plural, are being exposed to us, what do we do to address them? How do we handle that? We confess them to the Lord. A sin comes up. What do you do? You confess it to the Lord. You confess. It's a confession. It's a repentance. It's a confession. And here's a cool thing about that word confess. If you look at the Greek on it, it's we agree with God and his attitude to the sin. So when I'm confessing, I'm like, Lord, I'm yours. My sin, singular, has been handled. I know that I'm in sonship with you. I'm dealing with all of these things in my life. I'm confessing it to you because I see it for what it is, and I agree with you, and I confess it to you. So we see the things in our life that are destroying his purpose for our life. We see the consequences and the pain our sins cause. We begin to assume responsibility for our actions and not blaming others. Did you hear that? We begin to assume responsibility for our actions and not blaming others. And the Bible backs this up in Galatians 6, 4, and 5. Here's what it says. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Seeing as God sees, gaining his perspective, some of you may know Matt Anfield. He oversees the men's ministry. And they started to study Monday night. 71 men got together to go through a book on prayer. That moved me. Because this is what we're talking about, right? So if you bring it into a family, if you bring it into a life, like now God's transformation gets to take place. 71 men, fathers, husbands, friends, bosses, employees, you name it. They're coming together for prayer. And as I thought about that, I thought about some common things that men deal with. Anger, right? As men, sometimes we deal with anger. Well, guess what? If, if, if you haven't dealt with the singular sin, you're not even having the perspective of seeing the sin of anger, so it can't even be dealt with. But now that you're there and you're getting to see it, you get to confess it and go, Lord, I agree with you. I agree with how, I agree, I see it. I see the impact that this is having on my life. I see how it's destroying my life. I see how this anger is, is messing with my family, with my job, with me internally as I'm just raving inside. And we get to confess that. That anger gets to be confessed and in the confession of it and beginning to see it from God's perspective, man, now what is it to be patient? Now what is it to have self-control? To be gentle. Ultimately, the perspective leads to humility. And I don't know what that word means for you. Humility. But the Bible gives us a phenomenal picture of it. 
And it starts with Christ himself in Philippians 2. 2, 1 through 11 says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take, take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And here's the attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up all of his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the picture of humility. Amen? And, you know, some of you are rejoicing with me, and it's something to rejoice in. And I, and I just want to give a few examples of some more verses to, to express this humility. So kind of to, to get us back on track together. We start with worship. We're invited into the worship. We start getting this perspective. And in the perspective, as things are being dealt with in our lives, we're starting to see, like, man, this, this humility thing is for real. This is a real posture. Before God, a sovereign God, he's God, I'm not. Your need is greater than my need. Now what do I do with that? Humility is the posture. And in 1 Peter 5, 5, it says this, and all of you, I love this mental image, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And you've got to see that. You've got to feel that. Like literally when you look at the, and you study the word of that, it's like when he says he resists the proud, it's a Like you can't, you're not coming, you're not, no. It's not going to work here. You're not going to bring your pride. You're not going to bring your ego. I'm resisting you. But to the humble, that's the posture. Now we're in tight with the Lord. In Colossians 3, 12 through 15, there's more of this, this imagery of putting things on. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Right here, I can, almost, I can hear the song, It is well with my soul. Like, yes, Lord. And there are Proverbs that tell us that humility comes first and then honor. Humility first and then the honor. So this is our posture with each other, and all the while... In this humility, guess what we are? We're teachable. We're now growing in teachability. So there's worship. We're gaining this perspective. We're walking in humility. Now inside of humility, I can hear a hard word from our brother or sister. Hey man, this is, this is what I'm seeing in your life. 
And I'm not going to get defensive. I'm going to listen. And I'm going to listen. I'm going to go, all right. I'm going to take that before the Lord. So now we're teachable. We are disciples, which means we're learners. And Colossians 1.10 captures this. It says, Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Here it is. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. As we're teachable, we learn our giftings in the body. We begin to walk in our giftings in the body. And we mature in them. And this is where it gets exciting, guys. You know, and... and, and in my mind, as I was putting this message together, and I'm thinking, and I, and, I, and I hope to wrap this up so you really get kind of this missions element that applies in every aspect of our life. When we're inviting people into this life with us, into Christ, when missionaries go out, or missionaries go into a local hospital, or missionaries, uh, uh, you, you serve with Jeff and you go to serve the refugees, it gets exciting. Why? Because as we're walking, we've been teachable and we're walking in our giftedness and we're maturing in our giftedness and the adventure begins because we're serving, serving others in Christ. We're now serving from the right place and we step out and God begins to work out the call he has for us. I want you to hear that. We step out and God begins to work out the call that he has for us. You know, sometimes we're wondering like, what's the call on my life? What's the call on my life? Worship, let him give you perspective, learn humility, and be teachable. And now you're serving and you're working out the call in your life. You're growing in your giftings, we're growing in our giftings, we become mature in our giftings, and we're serving each other as such. And it's an awesome thing to serve because it's in serving him and serving others that the Lord has a distinct voice in our life. He's able to um, expose some of those plural sins. You know, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, and I don't have a, a you know, this is just kind of coming up off the cuff, but I don't have an, a, a, a definite example to give, but I just know it, you know, from, from my life. is like, there are things that I don't even see. Actually, I do have an example. A dear brother of mine, I was dealing with some things in my life, and speaking of worship, he was just listening to me. He's hearing everything that I'm saying, and I was all antsy about stuff or whatever, and he goes, bro, you know what you need to do? You need to worship. You need to worship. And that was the right word for me. That was, you know, to just get back into this, to, to this worship with the Lord. I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, oh, it's the distinct voice. You know, and so that's the idea is as we're moving, as we're moving and as we're, as we're digging into the things of the Lord, he has that distinct voice in our life. And the Bible speaks to that too, right? As we draw near to him, what does it say? He draws near to us. And this moves us into the final phase or the final area. It's not really, a, you know, and that's victory. So the more teachable we are, the more victory we have in Christ. And here's the deal, and you got to know this. The victory is already ours from day one. From day one, you become a believer, the victory is yours. It's yours. But most of us are knuckleheads and it takes a little time to appropriate that and to realize it. And here's what I mean by victory. We don't fight for the victory because the victory is already done. We're not fighting for the victory. We're fighting from victory. Amen? 
Here's what I want to do now. With the time that we have left, if you could pull up the slide, please. I'm going to close in 1 Corinthians 3. You guys can turn there. I'm going to close with 1 Corinthians uh, 3, and I wanted to just give all of this kind of as a, as a context. Here are, co-labor, here are co-laborers in Christ. There are 12 up there. So these are missionaries that have been directly sent from Calvary Church. So they were sitting right where you're sitting. Or in some cases, like Jeff, those that serve locally, Dave was here tonight. Um, who else here is uh, local? The clay camps, they happen to be down in Tucson. The clay camps are now here locally. Amanda Faust is still preparing. She's um, looking to head out to Ireland. The Lord's already provided for her. She's just sorting out details. But the point is this. Look to your left. Look to your right. Like, you may be it, right, as far as the next missionary that's sent directly from the church. But everything that we're talking about, whether it's here locally or whether you take like the Johnsons who are serving in Zaporozhye, Ukraine, planting a church there, it's the same thing. They're now going into the Ukraine to invite people into worship so that they have God's perspective, so that they learn humility, they're teachable, and they experience and appropriate the victory of Christ in their life. And that's what we're all doing. The brother who serves in a local hospital just by giving his 19-minute testimony, inviting into worship to have God's perspective, to learn humility, to be teachable, and to walk in victory. And so keeping this up, I want to read, uh, I want to read verses 9 through 17 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says this. I'm reading out of the NLT, guys. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So there's this foundation. There's this foundation that um, every single time we go out into the world, there's this foundation that's, that's, that's being built. There's a foundation that's being built in, 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 in our own work, right? In the consistency that we have with the people in our lives. And there's a foundation that we're a part of right here at Calvary Church. This, this is a place to grow, guys. This is a place to grow. And those that have already gone and they've gone out, inside of the grid of when disciples sinned, they've moved through the spaces. They've moved through these areas of, of, of worship 
perspective, humility, teachability, and victory. And here's what we're a part of. In Galatians 6, 6, it says this, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. And I love that verse. I love it. It makes me think of our pastor, Pastor Ed. As he's walking in his giftings and callings, uh, it, and the foundation that is laid here that we all get to be a part of and we get to grow in. That we share all good things with our teachers. That we share all good things with him. And how do we do that? And I've already read the other two verses. And I'll read it again in verse 4 and 5. How do we do that? We work out our calling. We press in. Pay careful attention to your own work. For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Amen? So I wish I had just a phenomenal closure for you guys, but I don't. I hope that that sits. And, and the idea is, is that when we think about our missionaries, you know, and just, just, just really, you know, if, whoever it may be, number one, it's Missions March. So, you know, tonight on the weekend, exit downstairs. And as you exit downstairs, you'll see mission walls down there. And I pulled these off. And when you go up to the board, you'll see these for, for each of the 12 that are up here. And it's just a quick update of who they are. You might be wondering, like, oh, okay, first of all, who, who are the missionaries? And you might be interested in Thailand. So you'll go and, and pull, a, uh, pull a piece of paper for Deneen or, or Pastor Dave and his family. Let me just give you a snippet of this. This is, this is what Deneen Kelly's up to. Um, step ahead. She says this, change begins when we step ahead. This is the motto of the organization I work with in Thailand. Step Ahead has been coming alongside vulnerable children and families in a variety of ways to help them take crucial steps towards safety and stability. Over the past several months, I have served on the government committee drafting the first foster care policy and procedures manual for the country. This will serve as the roadmap to assist the social workforce in reducing the number of children who grow up in orphanages and move the country towards a future where all children have the opportunity to grow up with a family. If you're inviting people into worship and they have God's perspective and the sins plural get to be worked out in their lives, might that be a transformation in a community? And that's what Deneen, that's what our sister in Christ is doing in Thailand in a big way. She's operating in her unique calling. She's been called out and that's, that's, that's what she's up to. And so on here it has how to contact and support her. And as I went through these, you know, just kind of looking at the 12, there was some, there was some overlap with their verses, but one of the things I really appreciated is every one of them had a verse. And have a verse for your life. Have a verse for this season of your life. Like, how is the Lord presenting himself alive to you right now? Like, how? You know, are, you, is, are things stale? Or are things alive in Christ? And what he's up to in your life, with what's on your plate, with your family, with what's being exposed for you to confess to be in agreement with God the Father. So, with Jason, if you would come on up. Pastor Jay and, uh, and get his closing in worship. Uh, if you're here tonight and you haven't dealt with the sin as a position, tonight's the night. You know, if some of those things that I said resonated with you, it resonates for a reason. You know, if, the, if it's that angst and you can't quite put your finger on it, it's because... It's because the very creator of the universe is, is literally hanging out with you, beckoning you to come to him, to get into that right position with him. 
And there's no like, let me get cleaned up and then I'll come. Let me do this first and then it's time to come. It's just dealing with the condition and it's dealing with sin singular. So if that's you, um, if you would stand, I would like to pray with you. Let's close. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come before you, and uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we have your word. We thank you for your son, Lord, who has, um, who's come. Father, the, the, the work is done. The work is finished. Um, he's done it once and for all, Lord, and we thank you for that, Lord, and, and we do. We, um, we want to learn more of you, Father, we want to walk in humility with you. Um, we want to know what it is to uh, esteem others higher than ourselves. Uh, Lord, we want to know, um, we want to know what it is to, uh, to be bold. Uh, Father, we want to know what it is to, to, to live, live out revelation, Lord, just, just uh, you know, by the word of our testimony, knowing that we're, that we're covered with, with your blood, with the blood of the Lamb, that our positioning is right with you. And Lord, just as we go out into um, our workplaces, into our families, and we do and we worship you, and as you bring those things up in our life, Lord, you, you tell us too that there's no condemnation in you, Lord. There's freedom. And we want to walk in that freedom. We want to experience that freedom. We, 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 don't, we don't want to be knuckleheaded and, 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 and wait forever to appropriate the victory. We truly want to fight from victory. We want to, we want to battle from victory victory, Lord, of what you've done, of that precious work on the cross. So again, we thank you for you. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, that you do have a mission heart, that you pursue us, that you pave the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.